I don't think they're trying to do anything to you. And I'm a whole lot um, more leery of the living than I am the dead. They're just a myth. They're not technically ghosts. They're just evil spirits in the form of a glowing angel, such as Lucifer did. Sometimes they're actual angels. Do I believe in ghosts? No. I believe there are spirits among us. You are listening to Higher Ground Radio, Shoe Buddy. In this episode, you will hear and learn about ghost stories. Stories play a huge role in Appalachia, and wherever you go, someone is always telling a story. And most of the time, they have a ghost story up their sleeve. To start us off, you will hear Gwen Johnson from Neon, Kentucky, telling a story about her great-grandma. My great-grandma, her name was Elizabeth Johnson, and she was a healer and went, you know, from place to place as she was needed when people was sick. And my grandmother always told me that in every epidemic or whatever, that there were some people exempted from um, diseases so that they could nurse the other ones. And she believed that that was who we are. And so my granny, um, it was during an epidemic that took place in the uh, last part of the 1800s. And um, she had went to this family's house and the mother had died that day. And the father lay gravely ill and one baby was in a cradle. And it was really sick. And granny had went there to help nurse him. And it was a full moon night. And she was sitting looking out the window. And um, the graveyard where they had buried the mommy that day was out on the hill out from them. And she was sitting looking out the window toward the graveyard. And she started seeing this white, milky-looking apparition raising up out of the grave. And she's sitting watching and I'm sure, you know, she thought she was seeing things. And uh, it just kept raising up. And then it started floating down the hill toward the house. And um, back at that time, they had latch strings that were attached to a draw bar on the inside of the door. And so um, it came gliding up to what was the door. And Granny lost sight of it because she was looking out the window. And uh, when it had time to about get to the door, um, the latch string had been drawn in that night because at night they draw in the latch string that would keep anybody from the outside uh, being able to open the door. But the boat flew up of its own accord and the door swung open and, and this apparition floated into the room and just floated over to the cradle. And the only sound that uh, she said that had been in the house was the raspy breathing because they were really close to death. And um, so the, what the old people called the death rattles was the only thing that she, you know, that she was able to hear because um, this old house was in the head of a holler uh, in the middle of nowhere. So uh, when the apparition floated into the room, um, it went over to the cradle that Granny was rocking with the toe of her boot. 
you know, she'd just been sitting there looking out the window, just kind of rocking that cradle um, to keep that baby satisfied. And ever, ever so often she'd wet their lips with a rag or whatever, but they were um, real close to death. And when the mother came in, she went over to the cradle and bent down and kissed the baby and just raised back up and went back through the door and the door swung shut and the boat dropped in place. And Granny watched her go back to the graveyard and float right back down into the grave. And when she floated back into the grave, Granny noticed there wasn't any sound. And both of them had stopped breathing. Thank you. 
Not only do the older folks know these stories, but so do the youngins. Next up, you will hear brothers Caleb and Seth Kugel from Harlan County tell a story together. So this big lumberjack has been walking around in circles like a dummy, and he's lost. And he says, I'm walking around in circles like a dummy, and I'm lost. And so then he finds this creepy log cabin. And this old man comes running up to him and says, Don't go in there. It's haunted. So the um, lumberjack goes in there and he lays down and he starts hearing voices. And they're saying, I got you where I want you. Now I'm going to eat you. And then he lays back down and he's creeped out. Like, And then it gets louder and it says, I got you where I want you, now I'm going to eat you. And then he's so creeped out that he stumbles back and he hits a wolf skull. And it uncovers this secret room and there's nothing but a monkey picking its nose and saying, now I, now I got you where I want you, now I'm going to eat you. Some people believe that all ghosts are scary. Some people believe that all ghosts are human. But in the next story you will hear, that's not the case. Several years ago, my sister was vacationing in North Carolina, and when she returned, she brought a book with her, and she said, I thought you might get some stories from it. And I looked at the title of the book, and it was Ghost Dogs of the South. I thought, really? But I opened it up, and I read the very first story that took place in Harlan County, Kentucky. I learned to love it. And with the permission of the authors, Randy Russell and Janet Barnett, I bring you The Watchdog. After World War II had ended and he was discharged, Corbin Forrest came back home to Harlan County, Kentucky, and got him a job in the number seven mine of the Star Company. Six days a week, he'd get up, eat the breakfast that his wife had prepared for him, pick up the dinner bucket that she'd packed and head on out the back door after he'd kissed her. He was always met there on the back steps by his old Airedale dog, Mike. Mike was named in honor of his good buddy, Mike, that was killed during the big push at Normandy on D-Day. Then he and, he and Mike would walk on into work. When they got close to the entrance of the mine, Corbin would stop and he would unclip the the watch that was clipped onto his belt loop and he would clip it onto Mike's collar and then he would go on in the mines. Several of the boys took an interest in old Mike and they began to pet him and to play with him and they decided he ought to be the, the mascot for the number seven mines of the Star Company. And they nicknamed him the old watchdog. Somewhere along the way somebody built him a doghouse. Oh, it wasn't much. It was just a few pieces of rough lumber and a piece of two of corrugated tin, but it did keep him in out of the wind and the rain and the snow and the sun when it beat down so hot in the summertime. And he would lay there obediently and wait till Corbin's shift was over. But every day at precisely 12.14, he would jump up from where he was lying and run into the mine, and then he would sniff around until he found Corbin. He always waited obediently at Corbin's feet while he ate his lunch. Corbin always ate a sandwich and a half, and he saved the last half of that sandwich as a treat for old Mike. 
Then he would close up his dinner bucket and give it to Mike, and Mike would carry it on outside and wait till the shift was over. One day, though, at about 9.40, Mike jumped up from where he was lying, and he ran into that mine. There were two young men guarding the gate shack, and one turned to the other, and he said, What's wrong with that old dog? It ain't dinner time, he said. You reckon his watch is broken? You see, they didn't hear anything, but Mike did. Mike sniffed around until he found Corbin, and then he began to growl and to bark, and he'd run a little bit, and he'd come back, and he'd run a little bit, and he'd grab Corbin by his pants and tug him, and finally Corbin said, What is it, boy? And then he recognized it, the familiar sounds and signs. And he said, Get out! Everybody drop what you're doing and run! All 42 miners dropped what they were doing and ran to the face of that mine. Several of them picked up their dinner buckets on the way out. When they were all safely outside, one young miner turned to the other and said, What are we doing out here? And the other said, Well, Corbin said to come, and so that's what we did. One of the older miners said, Well, we better get on back to work, boys, or they're going to dock us a day's pay. And he started toward the entrance of that mine. And when he did, Mike, uh, Corbin said, Wait! Just wait a minute. And he looked down at old Mike, and he began to reminisce about how he'd gotten Mike. Corbin was stationed in France during World War II. He and his good buddy Robert Smith were the cooks at the mess tent. They prepared all the meals for all the boys. Times were hard. War was all around them. And they were constantly aware of enemy attack. And anything, and I do mean anything, that could divert their attention for even a split second was a welcome reprieve. One morning, through an open tent door, came this ugly old dog. He was so skinny that you could count every rib he had. And he had these big old long legs and great old big feet that didn't look like they belonged together. And he had tufts of hair where he ought not have tufts of hair. He even had one on his chin, kind of made him look like he had a goatee or something. But there was something warm and inviting about those big old brown eyes of his. And the fellers took a liking to him. And they began to pet him and to play with him and to feed him. And in a short period of time, he was in fine health. <clears throat> All the boys wanted him to come and stay with them in their tent. But he liked where he was at. One boy brought a, a blanket off of his cot and threw it in the corner and made him a bed. One day, one young man decided he'd like to play fetch. So he got some rags and he rolled them all up real tight and he rolled them over to old Mike and Mike just looked at them and left them laying there. So another boy got the ball and he rubbed spam all over it and he rolled it back to Mike. And Mike just licked the spam off and left that ball laying there. He knew where he had it good and he wasn't about to budge. Well, one morning, missile fire was especially loud. There'd been a supply plane that had come in early that morning, and it seemed that the enemy was closer than normal. Corbin looked over at, at his good buddy, and he said, 
I wonder what time it is. He said, well, it's about 11.20. Robert said, what's that supposed to mean? He said, well, they say, well, I'd like to know what time it is when I die. Robert said, they say you never hear the one that gets you. Neighbor people don't. For at that very minute, old Mike jumped up from where he was lying and he ran into where those boys were working and began to growl and to bark and he'd run a little bit and he'd come back and he'd run a little bit and finally he had the boys full attention. And Corbin said, what is it, boy? And that old dog, he acted funny and Robert said, maybe he's got pups or something. Maybe we aren't to follow him. And so the boys started following him out of the mess tent. When they got outside, he started running as fast as he could run. And the boys were having to run as fast as they could to keep up with him. And he ran them across this great old big field. And on the other side of the field was a great big old foxhole. And he ran them right down into the middle of that foxhole. And when they got there, there wasn't nothing there. <sighs> that old dog's crazy. There ain't nothing here. <sighs> he must be hearing things or something. Robert took out a cigarette out of his back pocket, lit it up, and took a long drag off of it, gave it to Corbin, and he did the same. When they caught their breath good, Robert said, Well, we better get on back to work, he said. The boys will soon be there, and we don't have lunch quite ready yet. And they stood up to leave that foxhole, and when they did, that old dog lunged at him and act like he's going to eat him up or something. And he began to growl and to bark and he'd look up and he'd look back down and he'd look up. And then he got quiet. And then they heard it. It was the familiar whine of a missile as it breaks through the air. And they hit the dirt. And right when they did, that bomb exploded right in the middle of that cook shack. Right where Robert and Corbin had been working. When the air had cleared and the boys stood to their feet, they looked up and there wasn't nothing left. That cook shack had been blown to smithereens. And what should have been today's lunch was scattered to and fro all over that field. <laughs> oh, Mike, he just ran on ahead of them, licking his lips and lapping his jaws. For him, this wasn't nothing but a great big barbecue. Well, it wasn't long after that that Corbin got word that he's been transferred to England. He couldn't bear to leave that old dog behind, so he went to his company commander and asked him could he have permission to send him home to his wife in Wallens Creek there in Harlan County, Kentucky. With his help, they did that. She said that was the best letter she ever got from Corbin. She learned to love that old dog as much as he did. She said he wasn't no trouble at all except he couldn't speak English and she had to learn a few words in French in order to communicate with him. But other than that, he wasn't no trouble at all. Understand.
We don't need your pity, we just need your helping hand to fight one day more, one day more. If the company holds out 20 years, we'll hold out one day more. One day more, one day more. If the company holds out 20 years, we'll hold out one day more. We've got to change the way things are, make people understand. Our working class is being denied the rights of a free man. Our government lets criminals run free to steal again. Then takes the jobs of honest working women and men. We'll fight one day more, one day more. If the company holds out 20 years, we'll hold out one day more. Let's change the laws, remove the flaws, and start all over new. Demand our rights, take back our land, spread freedom through and through. Vote the scabs out of the White House, vote union brothers in. Then the feds can't ever take us off in a ball and chains again. We'll fight one day more, one day more. If the company holds out 20 years, we'll hold out one day more. One day more, one day more. If the company holds out 20 years, we'll hold out one day more. One day more, one day more. People, let me tell you what we're fighting for. We're fighting for your future, don't you understand? And you won't need our pity. Just need our helping hands to fight one day more, one day more. If the companies hold out 20 years, we can hold out one day more. One day more, one day more. If the companies hold out 20 years, we'll hold out one day Let's get on back to work, boys, the foreman said, and he started toward the face of that mine. And when he did, that old dog lunged at him and knocked him to the ground. And there he lay with a 50-pound dog on his back. And then they began to hear it. It started out as a low rumble, deep down low, in the belly of that mine. And the intensity built until there was a huge explosion right where Corbin and those 42 miners had been working. All those miners stood there silent and speechless for what seemed to be the longest time. The old foreman got to his feet. and He came over and he shook his hand out at, at old old. Corbin there, and he said, that's some dog you got, Corbin. Several of the other boys petted old Mike behind the ears and scratched him a little. And several boys said that had brought their dinner buckets out just left it there as a, as a treat for old Mike. 
<laughs> they said his old belly was so strutted that day he couldn't hardly wobble to the house. It wasn't too long after that that Corbin retired. It wasn't too awful long after that that old Mike died. They say that some of the young miners still ask the old seasoned miners why there's a doghouse out in front of the number seven mines of the Star Company. And they're quick to tell them the story of, of Corbin and Mike and how that dog saved all those miners' lives that day. You see, deep down in that mine, you hear strange noises. Sometimes it's the moaning and the groaning of the timbers. Sometimes it's the dripping of the water. Sometimes it's the shifting of the rocks. It ain't no wonder they tend to get jumpy. But it's said that from time to time, down in the belly of that number seven mine of the Star Company, they hear a watch ticking. And when they do, all activity comes to a halt. And they listen. Where that watch stops ticking, something will happen. A rock will fall. Carl will derail, a timber will break, but by then all those miners are safely outside. And on those days, they don't eat their lunch. They leave it there in front of that old doghouse in memory of old Mike. You see, old Mike, he's not forgot them, and they've not forgot him either. They aim to keep that watch ticking. You just heard storyteller Pam Hawkham from Putney, Kentucky. She loves to tell the stories of her people. Ghost stories are passed down from generation to generation, which makes them sometimes have variations. Next up, you're going to hear three variations of a ghost story from Harlan County. There's a girl named Danny. Went to Cumberland High School over in Harlan. Well, it was prom season, and her and her date decided to go to the top of Black Mountain after the dance was over. You know, that was a big party spot back in the day. So, they got in their car and drove all the way up the mountain. Spent the whole night up there partying and carrying on. Came time for them to come home, and they headed back down the mountain. Well, Annie, she was a little bit wild, so she stood on the seat and stuck her head out the sunroof. They were going around the curves, and the car started going faster and faster. They neared a big curve, her date tried to slow down, and that's when he realized the brakes had went out. He tried to warn Annie, but it was too late. The car went right off the side of the mountain, and Annie's head was ripped clean off. There's still a dent in that guardrail where the car hit it. She's still up there, looking for her head. She never stops. In the story I heard, it was prom night, and they were on top of Black Mountain, too. But she didn't get her head knocked off. The car stalled on top of the mountain, and Annie and her date got out. They checked the whole car out and couldn't figure out what was wrong, so they decided to get down on their knees and look up under the car. Suddenly, the car rolled back and crushed Annie's date while decapitating her completely. Annie's head rolled all the way down Black Mountain and was lost. And ever since, she's been haunting the top of Black Mountain, searching for her head. 
And they say if you cross at night by yourself, you can look in your rearview mirror and Headless Annie is sitting in your back seat. And if she sees your head fit for the taking, she'll take it herself. Steal their heads? That's not what happens. Let me tell you the real Headless Annie story. See, this was back in the 30s during the Union Wars. The company officials in Lynch didn't want unions in their camp. If they found out that you were union organizing, they'd send their thugs out after you, either kill you or torture you. Well, there was a man who had been trying to get people to join the unions, and the company found out. So they decided to make an example out of him. Rather than kill him or beat him up, they decided to go after his family. So those thugs went out in the middle of the night and snatched his wife and child right out of bed. They took them all the way to the top of Black Mountain and beat them and tortured them. Well, the wife, they killed her quickly, threw her body over the mountain. But those thugs decided to take their time with the little girl, Annie. After they finished beating her, they chopped her head right off, threw her body to one side and her head to the other. And she's still up there, too, just like you said. But she's not stealing people's heads. She protects people, makes sure they get off the mountain safely. And I should know, that freak snowstorm last April, she helped me get off the mountain. I almost slid right off that road, but at the last minute I was able to stop. And I know it was her. She's always protected me on that road. You can give me everything you want to give me And you take me every place you want to go You say you want to spend your whole life with me And you want to teach me everything you know You say you want me to be free and independent Seems like everyone knows about Headless Annie. But is the story real? Here is Darla Jackson, author of Harlan County Haunts, giving her opinion. And my first instinct is to not believe it and then let somebody prove to me that it's true. And for years, I've still not written about her because I, I thought it was urban legend. I couldn't find anybody that it happened to or any, any truth to it until recently. And so hopefully in my next book, there will be a story, probably written by my co-author, about Headless Annie. There really was a situation up in Cumberland, a murder that took place, and I'm now getting people who can actually tell me who it happened to. So Headless Annie is the most famous ghost story in the Cumberland area. And um, I do believe there is some credibility to it. I don't think it's urban legend anymore. Most of the stories you have heard so far have been stories that were passed down the line. Next up, you will hear a story from Alexia Alt that was an actual experience. This was a few years ago. I was working over the summer of 2013 at the Benham Coal Museum or the Kentucky Coal Mining Museum, which used to be the Benham Commissary when it was owned by International Harvester and I was working there that summer trying to catalog some maps and architectural drawings that were part of the museum collection and so my boss wanted me to take the maps downstairs to the front window so people could watch me cataloging them and um, processing them and get to know a little bit about cataloging. So the maps were all on the mezzanine level, the middle level when you walk in 
and I had to take them down the steps to the front window and work on them there. It took several weeks to get through all of those drawings and maps. And one day I was standing talking to the two girls who work there and we were talking about ghost stories and one of the girls really loved paranormal stories. So we were sharing stories about places that we'd been and supposedly haunted places in the area. And she said, well, you know, there were two people who died in this building. And I said, really? She said, well, yeah. I said, well, how did they die? She said, well, the first one was when it was the old building. Originally, they built a false front wood building. And that was replaced shortly before the new school building. So around like 1926, they built the new building. And she said, this guy was walking across the road and a big horse and buggy came speeding down the hill and couldn't stop in time. And the horse and cart hit him and threw him into the door frame. And he died right there in front of the door. I said, oh my gosh, I've never heard of that. I said, what was the other one? And she said, well, it was shortly after the new store was finished. There was a store girl who was working on the second floor and she was coming down the stairs and tripped and fell all the way down the steps and she died before she hit the last step. And I just looked at her and said, which stairs? And she said, well, probably those. And she pointed to the stairs behind me. And I said, do you remember a few weeks ago when I asked you about a weird smell on those stairs and her eyes got real big. See, a few weeks ago I had been walking down the stairs and I just smelled something really strong. It smelled like cake batter or vanilla, something sweet. And it was so strong that I thought maybe it was coming from one of the cases that are built into the stairwell. And I opened the case and sniffed and couldn't see, figure out where the smell was coming from. And I asked them if they ever smelled that smell. And they said no, they didn't know what I was talking about. And so after Amanda had told me about this store girl who had fallen, we kind of pieced it together. At the time, vanilla was a popular perfume for women. And so I only smelled it when I was in the middle of the stairs, not holding onto the banister. If I was closer to the banister and slowed down, I didn't tend to smell it. And so I felt like that girl was trying to get me to slow down, trying to take time carrying those big maps and drawings down the steps so I didn't hurt myself. Do you ever travel Highway 38, the road from Harlan to Everett? If you do, do you ever have a man with you? If so, you might want to pay special close attention to this next story told by Darla Jackson. Uh, there is the road from Harlan to Everts, Kentucky, and it's called Highway 38. And if you go a few miles into the Coxton area, it's said that a woman gets in the back of your vehicle and will ride You'll see her in the rearview mirror, but when you turn around, there's nothing there. Um, I've heard all different accounts of this. Sometimes they see her outside the car. And uh, this really sounds like a local legend or an urban legend, but I, I heard from 
taxi cab drivers from 50 years ago who said that this happened to them. Uh, there was bus transportation years ago. The bus drivers told people that they would think that they had one more passenger left and when they would stop to let her out, there'd be no one there. This has happened, as far as I know, as recently as five to ten years ago. I still have people saying that they see a woman. Sometimes they see her standing outside the road, you know, outside their car on the road. As they pass, they find it strange that she's standing out there so late at night, so they turn around to look and, they, and there's no one there. So I now believe that there is some truth as to the reason why she's there. I've heard that there was a murder years ago. I've also heard that there was a train accident years ago. So the origin of this leads back to the death of a young girl. And it probably happened in the early 1900s because I actually have stories where people's grandparents have seen this woman outside their, their horse and buggy. And then some talk about seeing this woman outside their vehicle on their, their, they were called running boards and they're different than today. These were these big old fashioned cars that had this almost like a step. And um, I have stories from that and that should probably be in the 1930s. So this has been happening in on this stretch of road in Harlan County probably for a hundred years and it still happens. It's never happened to me. I've been on the road before. I've always been curious to see if uh, it would happen to me and I told someone that I had tested it a bit and they said well it won't happen to you. There has to be a male in the car. I'm going down that road feeling bad, bad, bad. I'm going down that road feeling bad. I'm going down that road feeling bad, Lord, Lord. And I ain't going to be treated this way. I'm going where the climate suits my clothes, Lord, Lord. Oh, I'm going where the climate suits my clothes. I'm going where the climate suits my clothes, Lord, Lord. And I ain't going to be treated this way. I'm going down that road feeling bad, bad, bad. I'm going down that road feeling bad. I'm going down that road feeling bad, Lord, Lord. And I ain't gonna be treated this way. So 
feeling bad, love, love, and a hang on be treated this way. When it comes down to it, everyone has different beliefs. One person might believe in a ghost, and another person might not. What do you believe? I think all places are inhabited by spirits of some sort or other, because I believe that um, we can uh, see behind the veil sometimes, but sometimes we can't. And even though I don't see them sometimes, I still believe they're there. My grandmother used to tell me that what you focus on and what you think about most will come to you. It's actually impossible for people to bring the dead alive. So. I believe there are spirits among us. You know, I mean, the Bible speaks of spirits that are among us. Do I believe in ghosts? No. Do you ever hunt any ghosts, like a ghostbuster? No. Because they're not real. Exactly. This is Maria Lewis, the producer of this Ghost Stories episode of Shoe Buddy. This episode was inspired by the storytelling track at the Cowan Creek Music School. Shoe Buddy is a project of Higher Ground, a community arts program in Harlan County, Kentucky. Higher Ground is a project of the Appalachian Program at Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College. Funding for Shoe Buddy and other Higher Ground projects is provided by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Appalachian Regional Commission, and the Robert E. Fraser Foundation. This episode was produced and narrated by Maria Lewis. Additional Shoe Buddy staff includes Devin Creech, Alexia Alt, and Marissa Rutherford. Music for this episode included You Will Never Miss Your Mother Until She's Gone by Wade and Julia Maynard from their album In the Land of the Melody and One Day More by Elaine Perkey, performed at Seed Time on the Cumberland in 1998 and Going Down That Road by Papa Joe Smitty and the Reedy Creek Band from their album Butterbeans, and Love in Vain by Sparky Rucker from the album Cold and Lonesome on a Train. Special thanks to Apple Shop, WMMT, and June Apple Recordings. Our narrators for this episode included Caleb and Seth Kugel, Pam Hawkham, Darla Jackson, Gwen Johnson, Alexia Alt, Marissa Rutherford, and Robert Guy. To purchase Darla Jackson's books, you can go to lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, and she's on Amazon. You can also purchase them locally at the Mount Air Motel or Mount Pleasant Funeral Home in Harlan. Special thanks to Robert Guy, director of the Appalachian Program at SKCTC. For more information on Shoe Buddy and Higher Ground, visit our website, www.highergroundinharlan.com. Shoe Buddy is now available on iTunes. Just search Shoe Buddy. S-H-E-W-B-U-D-D-Y in your iTunes store under the podcast section. Thank you for listening to Shoe Buddy. Tune in the second Wednesday of every month at 6 p.m. to listen to more local stories.